Revelation 11, verse uh, 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days closed in sackcloth. And we talked about that last week. That was three and a half years. Jews time, times and half a time also refers to three and a half years in one place and 1,260 days in another. Some of that, and some, some of you had questions about it because the 1,260 days, according to our calendar, doesn't measure up to quite three and a half years. Well, a Jewish year is 360 days. So, so there are different ways of measuring time. But anyway, it's, it's referring to three and a half years. Uh, there are, these are the two olive trees and two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. If any man will hurt them, fire proceeded out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified and they of the people and kindred and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because the two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard the great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were frighted. And gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. I titled this tonight, The Faithful Witness of God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to open your precious word tonight. I pray that as we look into the word of God, that you would open our understanding and our hearts to receive thy truth. And Father, I pray that we'd be strengthened and edified and encouraged uh, in our day and time to be witnesses for you, uh, knowing that we can rest upon your promises, knowing they are yea and amen. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's a lot of speculation, of course, and a lot of wild interpretations of the book of Revelation, as you can imagine. Um, You know, if you're an all-millennialist, you would say all this is past. I was talking to an old millennialist one time. Actually, it was an Amishman. And he said, uh, he, uh, you know, I got talking about these kind of things that are mentioned in Revelation. And he said, well, you know, that all happened back in the Dark Ages. I said, really? I said, you're telling me Satan was banned a thousand years. Yeah, that was during the Dark Ages. Now, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Satan was banned during the Dark Ages when God's people were being severely persecuted. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, what they do is they spiritualize all this stuff. You know, the two witnesses could be representatives of the church. There's those interpretations. Um, sorry, we're not in the age of the churches anymore. And these two witnesses are, uh, by the way, we don't really know who they are. Um, we have some ideas about who they are because of the things they do. But but the the instruction here is given, you know, when you, when you interpret things in the Bible, you're to take it literally unless it clearly tells you otherwise. And these things are to be taken literal. Uh, I believe we are in the, the middle of the tribulation period in this, this portion of Scripture, and I'll give you some reasons for that in a minute. But, but the one thing I want to notice about tonight is the merciful witness of God. God has always given witness of himself in every generation in every generation and it is no different here when we're talking about a time period 
that is very catastrophic. We're talking about a time period where God is pouring out his judgment upon the wickedness and the rebellion of mankind. And yet God is giving them witness after witness after witness after witness of himself and miraculous witnesses, as we shall see, as we've already seen. But God has always given man witness to himself. In Acts chapter 14, when Paul was on his first missionary journey and he came to Lystra, uh, he was driven out uh, at the last place, and he came to Lystra in chapter 14, and there's an impotent man, and remember he heals the impotent man, and then they are going to uh, they, they bring uh, offerings and sacrifices, and they're going to worship Paul and Barnabas, and and so Bar- uh, Paul responds in this way, in, in verse 16 and 17 of Acts 14, uh, verse 15 says, And saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We are also of men like passions with you, and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness." in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And, of course, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork, day unto day utter speech, and night under night showeth knowledge. And Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they were without excuse. You know, the heavens declare, creation witnesses or testifies, that there is a God, and yet in every generation, God has given himself witnesses of people to himself. Hebrews 11 talks about the, the testimony of Abel. In Hebrews 11, verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. You know, Abel testified to the truths of the word of God by the offering or the sacrifice that he brought. Uh, Enoch, the Bible tells us that Enoch prophesied. You know, we don't, we don't know of this uh, from the book of Genesis, but the book of Jude tells us, that Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners, sinners have spoken against him. Of course, Enoch is prophesying to those people that God described that every imagination of their hearts were only evil continually. It was Noah's day. Of course, he was taken out. He was translated prior to the flood. Uh, And, of course, Noah also prophesied during that time period. So these people had witness uh, of the truth of God to them. Uh, We come to Abraham. Abraham was called out of the era of the Chaldees. The era of the Chaldees is a land of idolatry. And, of course, Abraham and his seed were to be a witness to the nations. Joseph and Jacob go into Egypt. They were a witness to those in Egypt, to Pharaoh. Moses, it was said of Moses, I've made thee a God unto Pharaoh. In other words, I'm your, I'm, you are my witness to, to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh looked to Moses like he was a God. Another one of his gods. You know, during the time of Judges, when every man did that when was right in his own eyes, there was Othniel and Gideon and Ehud, and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel. And then, of course, you have, during the kings, David, and the prophet Nathan, and and many other prophets during that time. Even during the the deplorable conditions of Judah during Manasseh, there was Isaiah, who Manasseh finally had enough of and cut him in two. And Zechariah and others. During Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim was the man that took the king that took the leaves uh, that, that Jeremiah had written, the scriptures, and he took a penknife and he cut them and threw them into the fire. But he had Jeremiah. The people still had Jeremiah. During the captivity, they had Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's, I always thought Ezekiel's favorite phrase was this, Ye shall know that I am the Lord. 
and ye shall know that I, you'll see that over and over in Ezekiel, ye shall know that I am the Lord. Nineveh had Jonah. When the children of Israel returned from captivity, that Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Nehemiah, and after the 400 silent years, John the Baptist comes on the scene. Then our Lord in a body. And then the disciples he sent out into the world. And now it's us. We are his witnesses. We're to go into all the world preaching the gospel. See, God has always given witness of himself to man. He has always given witness of himself. He has not left us without witness. And even here, we're in a time of great uh, catastrophes and, and, and cataclysmic events and, and, and terrible judgment, yet that there is great witness of the Lord. Testimonies to the Lord's grace and mercy. So, you know, God has always given us witness of himself. I want you to know, secondly, he also authenticates his witness. If you notice in verse 3 it says, he says, well, I'll give power unto my two witnesses. Two witnesses. Now, you'll see this in the Bible, the idea of two witnesses. Uh, for example, Deuteronomy 17, 6 says, At the mouth of two witnesses, or three witnesses, shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But the mouth of one witness shall he not be put to death. So what's the reason for the next witness? It's to authenticate that witness. Even, even in, the, in the church, uh, when, when the Lord gave instructions for the churches in Matthew 18, 16, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. 1 Timothy 5, 19, concerning an elder, says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Uh, Hebrews 10, 28 says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And, of course, we know that in the Gospels, Jesus sent out his disciples by two and by two. Two and two. You know, this was to give authentication to the witness. Hey, he isn't a lone wolf. This is just something he's saying. There's other witnesses. It adds weight to it, if you will. He also gives witness. Uh, he also gave witness by signs and wonders. If you notice in verses 5 and 6, we see signs and wonders here again. It says, if any man will hurt them, speaking of these two witnesses, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of the prophecy, have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. You know, there were signs, of course, during the apostolic period, and we read about them in Hebrews chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 4, where the apostle says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. But the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witnesses, or I'm sorry, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So God uh, bore witness to those that heard Jesus with signs and wonders. It was an authentication of their testimony that this is the truth of God. This is of God. That's what the signs and wonders were. And of course, when the completion of the of the New Testament, and the tongue ceased, the sign gifts ceased, and, you know, we have the Word of God now. But, it, but during this period here in the, in the Revelation, during the period of the notice of tribulation, there are going to be signs again. But who is it always wanted a sign? The Jews. 
And God is dealing again directly with the Jew. And so throughout the book of Revelation, you see many signs and wonders. You know, for example, Revelation 8.13. Revelation 8.13. I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. By reason, the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. So there's an angel flying through the earth. Don't you think that just creep you out a little bit? And he's crying, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Look at chapter 14. But that isn't the only thing they did. Chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. It says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of the waters. You know, and even here in chapter 11, look at the signs. If any man will hurt them, Fire proceedeth out of their mouth. Now, the word will here means to have intent. If any man will hurt them, they're going to fire proceed out of their mouth and kill them. They have power to do plagues, much like Moses did and Elijah did. Uh, the other that it rained not in the days of their prophecy, have power over waters, turn them to blood, to smite the earth with all plagues as often as it will. So, so again, we have signs testifying to their authority, authenticating their message. Now, the third thing I want to mention here is the identity of these witnesses. In verse 3 it says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a Prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days closed in sackcloth. So do you know who they are? They're not named. They're not named. We are not told who they are. Why not? Well, who the witness is is not important. Who the witness is is not important. It's not significant. If men knew who they were, they'd build shrines to them. That's what men do. I mean, look at the Catholic Church. They got shrines to every every saint, so-called saint, and you know, person of of you know, renown according to their thinking, they've got shrines to them. That's what men do. You know, nobody knows the place of Merle, Moses' burial to this day. Deuteronomy 34, 6 says, says the Lord buried, and he, he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor, but no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. And in fact, in Jude, verse 9, there's the Bible tells us there about a dispute about where he was buried between Michael and the devil. So nobody knows. You know why I think that is true? That is so? Because Israel made a shine out of that. Because there's been no, there is no one, there is no, has been no one in the history of the nation of Israel as prominent that spoke to God face to face like a man speaks to his man like Moses you know even Moses said of himself you know the Lord shall raise up a prophet like unto me him shall you hear because he was referring to Christ you know a prophet of Judah came to Bethel during Jeroboam the first reign and he cried against the altar it just simply says a prophet of the Lord and that, that altar was rent, and the ashes poured out, and, and Jeroboam was going to grab a hold of him and reached out to grab a hold of the prophet, and his, and his arm was struck with leprosy, and he couldn't pull it back in. And that prophet said, one day, a king, Josiah, 
It's going to desecrate and burns men's bones upon this altar. But he's not named. Nobody knows who it was. But again, it doesn't matter. You see, the message is what's important, and the message is the same if I give it or you give it. The message doesn't change. The messenger is not important. The gospel is what has life-changing power. It is, it is the power of God and the salvation. It is Christ who died for our sin. It doesn't matter who they are, really. Now, Zechariah 4 speaks of them, Zechariah 4, but again, they are not named. Zechariah 4 and verse 14, excuse me, it's verse 11 through 14 it says, Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees? And of course they're described in verse 4 of Revelation 11 as the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And here in Zechariah it says, Then I answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which thou, which the, uh, through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now, Go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Now, I'm going to give you my opinion here. Most commentators agree on three people possible, three possibles, and most agree on two. Uh, (coughs) But again, it really doesn't matter. But Luke chapter 9 Verse 28 says, It came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So here is Moses and Elias, who appeared with Jesus on the mount uh, when he was glorified before them, transfigured. And they are talking about his death that is to come at Jerusalem. And it is my personal opinion in Revelation chapter 11, they are witnessing of that. Uh, Malachi, or not Malachi, but uh, Zechariah 4 says that they stand before the Lord. They stand with the Lord of the whole earth. Well, Jesus is the Lord of the whole earth. And so, and of course, the description of these two witnesses give credence to the fact the miracles that they, are, they, they will do, it's, it gives evidence that they probably are Moses and Elijah. But the important thing is here, who they are is not important. It's the witness they give. Who you are is not really important. It's the witness you give. I read one time where... Uh, and I'm trying to remember who it was. He was a well-known, very influential preacher who said, I I never, um, and I can't even remember how his phrase goes. He said, I never was a a, a great man for God until I realized I was not a great man. See, who, who we are is not important. It's the message. It's the witness that we give. So that we see here the merciful witness of God. Secondly, this period is a time of swift judgment. If notice in verses 5 and 6, again, if any man will hurt them, that is these witnesses, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, notice it says this twice, he must in this manner be killed. So they will have power over men. If any man will, and the idea of the word will here is, is a Greek word that means has a mind to or intends to. You know, we're, we're talking about, uh, we're not talking about the dark ages here when, you know, somebody would have to chuck a spear at you and you could see it coming. You know, we're talking about modern times when men have uh, weapons of modern warfare and, 
And, and, and it says here that men will think to kill them and not be able to execute it. Because they will kill them. You know, they will have a, men will have a mind or an intent to kill them, and they will give, there will be fire come out of their, out, their mouth and devour their enemies. Uh, a couple of thoughts came to mind as I was thinking about it. Go to Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. We see similar situations in the Bible. Exodus chapter 10 and verse 28. You remember when after all the plagues, of course, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then in 10, or Exodus 10, 28, Pharaoh says, says to Moses, and Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more. And the day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. Well, Moses said, Thou hast well spoken. I will see thy face again no more. And in chapter 12 and verse 29, it says, And it came to pass that at the midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn land of Egypt, and the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. You know, Pharaoh had in mind to kill Moses. But he ended up with one in his house killed. But a better example is go to 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. And verse 3. It says, But the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a god in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from the bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. When the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, Why are ye now turned back? And they said unto him, There came a man up to meet us, and said unto us, Go turn again unto the king, that sent you, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not because there is not a god in Israel that thou sendest to acquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came to meet you, and told you these words? And they answered him, He was a hairy man, and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It's Elisha, the Tishbite. Then the king sent unto him a captain of fifty with his fifty, and he went up to him, and behold, he sat on the top of a hill, and he spake unto the man, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. Now, these fifty were sent to arrest Elijah. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again also he sent unto him another captain of fifty with his fifty. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. And Elijah answered and said unto them, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And he sent again a captain of the third fifty with his fifty. And a third captain of the fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these fifty, thy servants, be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burnt up the two captains in the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. And the angel Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him, be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. You see, the first two sought his harm. They were sent to arrest him. They had a mind or intent to do him harm. And God sent fire down out of heaven and destroyed them. And these two, in their prophecy during the tribulation period, are going to fire come out of their mouth and destroy those that intend to do them harm. They will have power over men. They will also have power over the elements to inflict 
with judgment and plagues and so on. Verse 6, These have our power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Have power over waters, turn them to blood, to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. You know, the days of God's grace and mercy, allowing man just to exercise his free will and rebellion to God, have, are coming to a close. Those days are going to be over. This is a different time period. God's not going to tolerate. You know, Jesus allowed them to spit in his face, to mock and ridicule and, and to crucify. Stephen was allowed to be stoned, uh, praying for his assailants. James was beheaded. Peter and John arrested and threatened, beaten. Paul stoned, beaten with rods. He and Silas, you know, had stripes put on them and thrown into prison. You know, prayed and sang uh, for those who threw them into prison. You can imagine Paul in stocks and Silas, wounded and bleeding, pleading the Lord to save the jailer, singing praises to God who saved his soul, who, like the jailer, had persecuted God's people. You know, Jesus said, if they smite you on the cheek, turn to them the other. Paul in Romans chapter 12 tells us that avenge not yourselves, rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance to mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. But it's not going to be so here in Revelation chapter 11. It's not going to be that way during the tribulation period. These two prophets are going to bring judgment upon those who intend to do them harm. It's going to be like it was under Moses' law. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses, Hebrews 10, 28 tells us. So, so it was the time of swift judgment. I'm going to notice the third thing, the, t- the departure of the witnesses. And I have a couple of things here. First of all, the time of their departure or the time of their, uh, of their, of their uh, a witness. Of course, it's 1,200. Verse 3 says, now we give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. And of course, again, that's equivalent to the time period we established last week, or three and a half years. And verse 7 says, And when they shall finish their testimony, the beasts that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So they have a preordained set time of their preaching, of their witness three and a half years and then they're going to be martyred but until that time is up no man can harm it Isaiah 54 17 says this no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me saith the Lord but when they're predetermined uh, set time period is finished. Notice it says, And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Now, the beast out of the pit is a new, new uh, character in the plot here, you might say, that's introduced here. And he's spoken of in Revelation chapter 13. And we'll get to that. But he is the Antichrist. He is the devil incarnate. He is the devil man, if you will. Uh, And, and of course, uh, it is my opinion that we are in the middle of the tribulation period at this juncture when they are killed. They're going to prophesy three and a half years, and I think we're at the middle because that's when when the Antichrist really reveals himself for who he is. That's when he will break his covenant with Israel. You remember in, Deut- in, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, uh, when Daniel spoke of the, the covenant that he was going to make, that, the, that they would make for one week uh, with the one that would come, uh, Daniel 9, 27 says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Even the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, so it's my opinion that we're in the middle of the seventh of that seven-year period, the three, the three and a half-year point, 
And as he speaks here, in the middle of the week, that's after three and a half years, he's going to cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. In other words, he's going to cause the sacrifices of the Jewish people to cease. And he's going to abominate the temple. He's going to abominate it. Now, many believe what he'll do is he'll offer a pig on the altar. That is what Antiochus Epiphanes did during, prior to the days of the Maccabees, during, during the prior, um, uh, between Malachi and, and Matthew, during that time period. Antiochus Epiphanes, who, who was a, certainly it was a type of the Antichrist, you know, his descriptions fit it, but anyway, one of the things he did is he, 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 he took control of the temple, and he, he desecrated it, he took a sow and offered it on the altar. And that caused the revolt of uh, Judas Maccabeus. He was an old priest, and his sons led a great revolt, and they defeated him. But Jesus speaks of this in Matthew uh, chapter 24, verse 15. He says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let him which is in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. So, and, and then he says, for then shall be great. In other words, that's going to usher in the, the last half of the tribulation. And it's called the great tribulation. Because there's going to be, the whole world is going to go come against Jerusalem. They're going to break that treaty, that covenant. And the Antichrist is going to take control of the temple. And they're going to persecute the nation of Israel. And we'll see more of this next, next week or so. We'll get into chapter 12. So, so this is the beast that's going to kill these two witnesses that's referred to here. When their time of their prophecy is finished, they're going to be put to death. But notice the place. In verse 8, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So these two prophets are going to be killed by the Antichrist in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. You know, Sodom and Egypt is very descriptive of what the Lord thinks of modern-day Israel. You know, really, the reality is today, if you want persecution for witnessing, go to Israel. Or go to Brooklyn. There are 561,000 Jews in Brooklyn, New York. There are 1.1 million Jews in New York City. I know a pastor who's in New York City trying to start a church, trying to reach Jews. He's been spit on, punched from Jews. They are very antagonistic against the gospel. And the Lord here describes Jerusalem as Sodom and Egypt. Sodom and Egypt. Ezekiel describes Sodom in Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50 as a place of living for pleasure, abundance of idleness and leisure, uh, a living for self or without regard for the poor and needy, no regard for the sanctity of life or no regard for others. Of course, Sodom is a name identified for 4,000 years with sexual perversion. So it's symbolic of immorality and depravity. And that's how the Lord describes Jerusalem. Egypt. We, all, we always you know, have heard that Egypt is a type of the world. Worldliness. They've persecuted God's people since Moses. 
It's symbolic of materialism and idolatry. You know, they had all, all kinds of gods. You know, they worshipped the Nile. It's a land of wealth and many gods. And this is modern Israel. I don't know how I got this, but I, so there was a little thing about life in Israel today on one of the side clips on, on, a, on a web page I was looking at. And a couple of things I, I, I copied and pasted here about Israel. Okay, Tel Aviv. Every year there's a city-funded dog day where dogs get massages, treats, and hopefully adopted. This is a city-funded so government money goes to that. They also like to take care of stray cats, too. But anyway, uh, I could take care of a few stray cats. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Tel Aviv was rated one of the best cities to live for those who identify as LGBT. The city welcomes the gay community with bars, beaches, clubs, and even hotels. Each year, over 250,000 people gather in Tel Aviv for a huge gay parade that takes place along the beach. One of the best college parties in the world is held in the south of Israel. A private college in Herzliya prepares year-round for their exclusive, luxurious three-day pool party. Each day, the party is hosted at a different, highly-ranked hotel. The hotels are reserved for the students, and the party never stops. Shortly after the day party, the night rave awaits, and it's madness. Here was another caption. Every year, the whole country gets drunk and dresses in costumes. It says the Jewish people celebrate surviving a decree to kill all the Jews was, was signed thousands of years ago in what is known as Persia. And we know what that is. The Feast of Purim. That's during the time of Esther. Okay. So the tradition, traditional celebration includes dressing up, drinking, and partying. Some of the best parties takes place on this day. For the holiday of Purim, DJs from all over the world come to Israel and perform at festivals. This is one day you will find religious men dressed as women. And it had a picture of men in, in, in um, uh, lacy-looking pink little skirts and tops. This is in Israel, modern Israel. And yet they have a they have a form of religion. The government has rules about what can be up and running on the Sabbath. With the exception of Tel Aviv, all stores must close down before the Sabbath. Buses do not run anywhere in the country during these times. So forget about a bus ticket on Saturday. Their Sabbath. There is a law in Israel stating that pigs cannot be raised on the land, but you'll find loads of bacon if you know where to look. Farmers found a clever loophole around this law. They placed a slab of concrete below their pig farm, so when they raise their pigs, it won't be technically on the land. Sound like some Amish people I know, but anyway. You see... This is modern Israel. It is liberal. It is indirect. It's an offense to a holy and righteous God. These are God's people. God's chosen people. So you understand why God's pouring out his wrath of chastisement this is what it is it's, it's correction you know, you know in the Bible in many places you'll find that Isaiah asked the Lord okay why, why Babylon you know, we're, we're not as wicked as Babylon why are you bringing Babylon why are you bringing Assyria it's to chastise my people Habakkuk said thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil and canst not look upon evil and he was raising the question Lord why are you bringing why are you bringing that, that bitter and hasty nation of the Chaldeans, because they're more wicked. I mean, our, my people are wicked, but they're more wicked than us. How can you justify that? He said, they are the rod of my anger. They're the rod of my anger. And the whole purpose of the tribulation 
that Daniel gives us this is to bring an end to sins. To bring an end to their rebellion against their God. But it's very evident they are still in that rebellion. They're still in that rebellion. And they have such disdain of the witnesses of God and such hatred for them, they don't even bury them. Look at verses 10 and 11, or 9 and 10. And they of the people and kindred and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. They have such hatred, they don't even bury them. You know, they're more concerned with their festivities than burying the dead. You know, there, there are laws about burying people, about leaving people lie out on the ground, you know, dead, decaying corpse, good place for disease and all kinds of problems to start. You know, there are laws in many countries concerning that. But these are, these are more concerned with their festivities and than burying the dead. You know, this is evidence of a complete disregard for life and human decency. And a disdain for God and his prophets. Folks, this is the, this is the land of Israel. But I want you to notice then, fourthly, the demonstration of the power of God. Verse 11 it says, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. In the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly so you know three things here to demonstrate the power of God we have the resurrection of the witnesses the spirit of life from God entered into them stood upon their feet you know the whole world's watching this if you notice in verse 9 they are the people and kindred and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies you know if you'd have been if you'd have been 70 years ago you just said how could that be possible that's very easy now we can see anything that goes on anywhere in the world. With the television and now the internet, you can see anything that goes on in the world. And so the whole world's going to see this. This is going to be this is going to be CNN news. Yeah, they'll probably get this story right. You know, it fits their narrative. Uh, and, and so the whole world's going to see this, and the whole world is probably going to see them come to life. And while their enemies are watching, they're going to hear this voice from heaven. Come up hither. And they're going to be received up in a cloud while they watch them go. And then there's an earthquake. In verse 13, you know, earthquakes are often evidence of God's severe displeasure. There was an earthquake at the crucifixion. When Jesus cried, it is finished, there was an earthquake. And of course, the rocks rent, graves were opened, the temple veil was rent from top to bottom. Again, here are three unmistakable signs from God. Along with what we saw in verses 5 and 6. And of course, what is it the Jews are always asking? Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Well, here's your sign. Here's your sign. But you know, the sad thing is, the testimony is that they're going to continue on for a time in their rebellion against God. 
You know, the truth of the matter is, though people see signs and wonders, as Jesus said to them, though you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. You remember Luke 16.31, Abraham said to the rich man, he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You see, if we refuse to receive the record that God has given us of his son, we will not be convinced by signs and wonders. You know, the heavens are a sign. That God is. You know, Israel really, if you study history, Israel is a sign. What nation has endured what Israel has endured and has survived? There is not one. The reality is, it's because they are God's people and God said he would fulfill his promises to them. And those promises are yet to be fulfilled. You see, God has not left us without witness. God gives every generation ample witness to himself. But each generation must receive that witness. You know, we are here in our time as witnesses. We're the witnesses that God has given for our time, for our day. And God has given us this day of opportunity. We are to go forth in the power, in His power of the Spirit of God, assured of His promises, giving forth His word. For it is the word that has the power to save them that believe. So might God help us to be faithful as witnesses to those around us that know not the Lord.